This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, September 8th. I'm Doug Blair. And today, we're going to talk about California. No, no, California hasn't done some weird liberal thing. Well, maybe. But their power grid isn't working. Energy crises are popping up across the country, but none may be so pronounced as in the Golden State. Katie Tubb, a research fellow at the Center for Energy, Climate, and Environment at the Heritage Foundation, has some ideas about what California could be doing to improve their energy grid and what they should be avoiding. We talk about that and more coming up right after this. Conservative women, conservative feminists. It's true. We do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to politics and policy. Plus, we bring you an exclusive interview with a problematic lawmaker or conservative activist every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. And we are also problematic on social media, so be sure to follow us on Instagram. My guest today is Katie Tubb, a research fellow at the Center for Energy, Climate, and Environment here at the Heritage Foundation. Katie, welcome to the show. No, thanks, Doug, for having me on. Well, I wish we could talk about something pleasant, but California is going through a pretty brutal energy crisis right now, and it seems like a lot of it is kind of up to them. They almost did this to themselves. But I'm curious, how much of this crisis is due to government policies, and how much is this is out of the government's hands? Uh, Well, it definitely is a combination of both, but I think what we're seeing is the uh, natural consequence, I'll put it that way, of years and years of policy. And the big question here is, is California's hyper-politicized grid up to the challenge of things like uh, drought and high temperatures, which are uh, the natural course for California, which is a very arid state. So, you know, the question is, have these policies... uh, strengthened California's ability to deal with what is the inevitable in an arid region, and that's pressure on the grid due to weather. Uh, I think we're seeing now, as we have for several years, that the answer is very much no, Um, but that's all to say it's a combination of both those things there that you mentioned, that a lot of this is in the hands of policymakers, some of it, like the weather, is not. Um, But that's what Uh, I think policymakers always need to have in the back of their minds when they're pushing certain policies. Does this make us uh, more robust and able to handle pressures in the future? Or are we making um, our energy system more and more fragile? Mm -hmm. And it seems like California actually is going in the direction where it's becoming more fragile. They continuously are pushing for policies like, for example, uh, the banning of gas-powered vehicles by 2035 and replacing them with almost electric vehicles. Will those types of policies exacerbate the issues we're seeing in California right now? Yeah, you can't make this stuff up that the same week that California bans for the long term uh, the sale of new internal combustion engines – you're also getting uh, extreme pressure on the grid, which is exactly what uh, these policies are exacerbating even more. So it's just like the timing is incredible to me uh, and certainly instructive for the rest of us as we 
uh, look to policy in our own states and at the federal government. Um, I think it's certainly instructive for the Biden administration, which is pushing very similar California-esque vehicle policies through the EPA and the Department of Transportation uh, and trying to nationalize California's policy for the rest of us. Uh, it begs questions about the wisdom of that. And I, I would say California is showing us that it's uh, very unwise and exacerbating uh problems that will impact the lives of Americans on a very regular day-to-day basis. Well, well, that's a good point, because it doesn't seem like it just sticks to California. I mean, these policies have implications that affect the rest of the country. How do California's energy policies impact you know, the other 49 states? Well, certainly the, the states closest to California are hit uh, the most and maybe the hardest, because California is a major uh, energy consumer, and so those markets closest to California are impacted. I think a really good illustration of that is with electricity. So California is the nation's largest importer of electricity, and California has relied on electricity from you know Washington, Oregon, Nevada, uh, Arizona. Certainly that's becoming more challenging as these states also face weather and drought situations, and California can't rely on that. Uh, but then there's also this aspect of We'll, we'll use the example of vehicles. Uh, under the Clean Air Act, the Biden administration has allowed California a waiver to hold higher standards, more stringent standards than the EPA. Uh, and it also allows other states to hop on California's bandwagon. And so you get this patchwork system uh, that is quite harmful because in the end, it, it basically means California's Clean Air Act standards become the de facto national standard. Mm. Um, And I'll also just add that politically under this current administration, President Biden and his uh, regulatory army are using a lot of California's policies and bringing it into a national arena. So California has been the test dummy that uh, this administration prefers and is therefore trying to make California's state energy and climate policies, uh, something that we all have to live under. Mm. Speaking of standards and what we're sort of looking at as what will be the standard for America, during a recent hearing by the California Air Resources Board, board member Hector De La Torre said that he preferred California align its electric vehicle mandates with Europe than with states like Texas. So this sort of has a two-pronged question attached to it. First of all, what is that sort of other alternative? What is Texas doing uh, to handle its energy issues that California maybe isn't? Uh, well, that's a complicated question because <laughs> <laughs> always my favorite. <laughs> right. Well, Texas has had its own problems, and I think a lot of that has uh, problems with their grid, I should say. And I think a lot of that has to do with California-like policies. Uh, Texas itself subsidizes a lot of wind energy, uh, and and they've faced the consequences of that. They've created fragility in their own grid. We saw that certainly uh, a couple winters ago when. We saw those terrible Texas blackouts. Um, So, you know, Texas does a lot of things right. They don't do everything perfectly. When it comes to vehicles, uh, Texas is pursuing, I think, a much more free market approach to vehicles, which is let the consumer decide what they want to drive. California, uh, through these Clean Air Act regulations, through huge subsidies, um, and then uh, kind of demands on manufacturers are pushing consumers to basically one kind of vehicle 
and it's an electric or uh, zero emission vehicle. They're uh, on the way out for uh, internal combustion engines. So California is using carrots and sticks on producers and consumers to force them in one direction and one purchasing choice. Uh, and in that sense, there is quite a difference between California and Texas. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that that's kind of an interesting point because it doesn't sound like it's a red state versus blue state issue if even Texas is doing things that are sort of similar to how California is doing it. Yeah, the, the grid uh, and grid policy is quite speckled across the United States. Uh, you can look at regions like the Northeast, which look a lot like California, and then you can kind of look across the Midwest and see uh, lighter versions of what we've seen uh, in California and the Northeast. Lighter meaning uh, smaller mandates or fewer subsidies. Um, And I I like to call these bumper sticker policies because everybody likes the sound and the idea of, hey, let's have, excuse me, 30% renewables by 2030. Easy to remember, it sounds exciting. Mm -hmm. But there's huge consequences to that because it doesn't take into account things like affordability, reliability, you know, will we have electricity this summer? Those kinds of questions. And that's what I think should be driving policy when it comes to the grid. Unfortunately, many, many states have uh, drunk the Kool-Aid and drunk the Kool-Aid 10 years ago Mm. when it comes to these bumper sticker policies. Right. Well, I mean, sort of going back to what we were discussing before then, California cited Europe as maybe the model that they should be focusing on as opposed to places like Texas or some other red states. Should Europe be the model? Are we going, would, would we look across the Atlantic to say that's what our energy policy should be like? Uh, it is very hard for me to take that uh, comment or that aspiration seriously, because if you look at what's happening in Europe right now, it is verging on uh, implosion when it comes to energy and you know i think energy for a lot of people sounds like a you know just something we don't think about often but if you think about your day today almost every step for you to get to work or to school or to run an errand uh to engage in a meeting uh to open the fridge to eat your breakfast it involves energy um and what we're looking at in europe right now is uh heating and electricity prices that are literally 102% higher than they were last year. And it's because they've pursued policies like Europe for the better part of, I would say, three decades, um, such that their grid, uh, their energy infrastructure is incredibly fragile and incredibly reliant on countries like Russia because they haven't been able to meet demand over the last couple decades because of restrictions they've put on things like coal, oil, natural gas and nuclear, such that now they have no options and the options that they have are very expensive and will take many years to recover what's been lost over these last roughly three decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really looking at an, uh, an energy poverty crisis, not just for big industrial users, but for the average family in Europe. And I look at that situation and think, how in the world is that a model to follow? And instead, that is a model to avoid as hard and as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. 
So some of the things that we are seeing as proposed solutions are reactivating, say, nuclear plants, or at least renewing uh, the contracts of nuclear plants to extend their operational life. So last week, uh, lawmakers approved legislation in California to extend the operational life of the last nuclear power plant in Diablo Canyon. Was this a positive move? Do you see this as a positive development? Absolutely. Uh, It's unfortunate that it had to happen this way. And I say that because Diablo Canyon was and is an outstanding provider of electricity. I mean, it provides roughly eight or nine percent of the entire state's electricity. The reason it was going out the door and uh, starting uh, efforts to close, if you look at the the very bureaucratic uh, documentation from the last roughly 10 years for the plans with Diablo Canyon, it has everything to do with California's policy goals for the grid. Namely, that solar power mandates force Diablo Canyon to scale down its operation and become basically uneconomic. So it's an entirely self-inflicted wound that Diablo Canyon was starting to close down. And now the state, you know, as you said last week, passed a measure to extend uh, the power plant's license, but it will cost the state a $1.4 billion dollar loan backed by their taxpayers Uh, and it did not have to be that way so you know i think yes it is incredibly positive and i am uh very surprised that the state did a u-turn on their nuclear policy and have allowed diablo canyon to move forward but it didn't have to be that way and, and that's what i find unfortunate about it but it's not that just diablo canyon we could go down a whole list of i think policy reforms that California should consider, and I think, you know, it would be informative for the rest of the country, but it's things like uh, natural gas pipelines. You know, the attorney general in California is opposing a natural gas pipeline from Canada. At the same time, they're trying to force more things onto the grid and relying on more natural gas. So you've got this conflicting policy posture here. Um, You know, we've talked about the vehicles and regulatory mandates to get rid of internal combustion engines. Um, But you could also talk about uh, things like energy production. California is incredibly energy rich when it comes to oil and natural gas. And yet also last week, the state passed legislation uh, increasing regulatory burdens on oil and gas wells to basically, or with the intent of phasing them out. So, you know, the list I think is very long of, Uh, reforms that mostly have to do with uh, the ideas of let consumers choose and let's reduce regulatory barriers on the energy sector uh, because I think that's what's essential to human uh, well-being and flourishing here. And that should be the ultimate goal of policy, Mm. what achieves that goal. Well, I mean, one of the questions, too, that pops up is what is the cost-benefit versus what you're getting out of it? So, for example, uh, it sounds like the way that California goofed here was that they paid way more to extend the life of this particular nuclear plant than they could have. Does that mean, then, that there are certain policies that they could put in place now that would still be really expensive, but would at least pull back from the, the sort of catastrophic energy crisis that we are you know, starting to see form? Well, you know, I think the couple things I just listed off are not expensive at all. <laughs> they're they're about uh, reducing barriers to access energy. It doesn't cost a whole lot to allow oil and gas producers to risk their own money to invest in oil and gas production and associated uh, infrastructure. 
it doesn't cost the taxpayer a whole lot of money to allow uh, a natural gas pipeline to be built by, again, a private company. So these are regulatory barriers that I think are causing uh, what I would call this uh, fragility of California's energy sector, whether we're talking about electricity, heat, or transportation fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same with Diablo Canyon. It would not have cost the California taxpayer money for Diablo Canyon to uh, continue their license um, because, again, they're a private company. So, you know, I think what we're now seeing is taxpayers are on the hook for quite a lot in California. It's because they're uh, adding so much um, political risk to the system. Okay. So I guess to that point as well, you know, one of the things about California is that it does sort of pride as somebody from the West Coast, it does sort of pride itself on having this like visionary uh, expansionist view of like how we're going to fight for the future of the planet and all this climate change stuff. In a state like that, what are some of the policies that we could pass maybe today that would be acceptable to the crowd that has this desire for green energy, but would prevent some of the worst impulses of uh, a government that seems hell-bent on making sure the electrical grid doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think a couple of things here. One, you could go right to nuclear energy. Uh, no matter what you think about global warming, nuclear energy uh, provides a whole lot of uh, power for a very small footprint and no emissions of traditional pollution or greenhouse gases. So, we're, I mean, that's a surefire answer for meeting uh, consumers' needs and um, I think being a good steward of the environment. Uh, there's a lot California could do there. Uh, certainly, they could lift their ban on new nuclear power plants. I think the Diablo Canyon was a great decision, and I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, plant have more lifeline. I wish uh, or I hope that California would give it a much longer lease than five years, which is what uh, they currently have extended um, that license extension to. Um, but I would also question... The premise of your question, <laughs> which is, you know, all of these policies that California is pushing, these these quote unquote visionary policies are premised on the understanding of climate uh, and global warming being an emergency. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't need to go into that. You know, that's a much longer conversation. But uh, whether or not that is the case, it does not matter what California does or doesn't do. Um California's greenhouse gas emissions uh, will not change uh, global temperatures by the end of the century. Uh, so you're talking about a very costly system, not just in terms of dollars, but also in terms of uh, how how Californians uh, live their daily lives and their relationship to their government for basically no climate uh, benefit. And that, I think deserves a very robust conversation about quote unquote climate policies uh, that are very expensive and have no impact. (laughs) Um, And then I think the last thing I'll say about that, the premise of your question, Doug, is, you know, I think California has tried to make the case that um, greenhouse gas emissions should be the primary drivers of energy policy, electricity policy. I wholeheartedly disagree with that, and I see. I think we're seeing the consequences of right, that right now. That when you uh, focus your energy policy on one aspect, greenhouse gas emissions, 
you're totally ignoring things like reliability, affordability, consumer access, uh, energy poverty. Um, these are the kinds of things that I think should be informing California's energy policy uh, instead of this very uh, narrow-minded approach, which is centered around greenhouse gas emissions. Well, that's a lot to think about, and I, I think that it's important for us to note that you know these, these are very multifaceted questions, and there are very multifaceted answers as well. That was Katie Tubb, a research fellow at the Center for Energy, Climate, and Environment here at the Heritage Foundation. Katie, very much appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Yep. Thanks, Doug. Wow, what a great interview. I had no idea that nuclear was going to go so far in making sure that energy crises like the ones in California might get stopped. But we're going to leave it there for today. Thank you for listening to the interview. And if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. That's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast. And leave a review if possible. Also, please spread the word. Tell your friends and family about the show if you like it. We really do appreciate all those new listens and getting the message out. We'll be back with you all later today for Headlines. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Doug Blair, and Samantha Rank. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.